Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome back to the epic narrative. We are going to have so much fun today. Why? Because it's a great story. We're still dealing with uh, Noah and his family for sure. They have been established here on the earth. They have a covenant with God. They are blessed to be fruitful and multiply, and dang, are they doing a great job. So in chapter 9, we're still in chapter 9, verse 18, through the end of the chapter, the rest of this chapter takes 350 years. How do you know that, Bob? Well, there are people who like math, and they said so. They figured out the average uh, lifespan. They figured out the average number of babies that everybody had. They established it based on uh, genealogies and ancestral information. And, of course, the next chapter, which is just flat jack filled up with people and families and stuff. And they just put it all together and said, this equals 350 years. Well, that and the last uh, almost the last verse of the, the last two verses of this chapter said, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All total, Noah lived 950 years. Then he died. Crazy, right? Isn't that crazy? That's actually how they know. So this chapter takes about 350 years because we kind of cover it until Noah dies. And we don't necessarily cover his day-to-day life. But what we cover is a very significant story. Why is it significant? Because the story points to something that everyone needed to be aware of. We didn't need the day-to-day stuff. What was the day-to-day stuff? Oh man, alive. That was making babies. Making babies, finding places to live, building places to live, establishing greater places to live, conglomerating into, into small groups of people that were living together, and then villages of people that were living together, and then moving on beyond that, working the land, making you know bigger and bigger farms. Remember, it's easier now than it was before. People are enjoying the blessings of God. They're, the, 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 these people, are gonna, they get busy. They get busy and crazy busy. Uh, what, what, what verse do we want? Oh, verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Hem, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan, a father of Canaan. These were the three sons, and from them came a people who are scattered over the whole earth. That's what I'm talking about. Lots of stuff, lots of people. These four families, these four families, that's the families that established the earth. There were lots of other families. Again, chapter 10, chock full of them. I don't know how we'll cover that. How we will cover that one? I'll let you know on the next episode of the Epic Narrative. But the influence of these four families noted in Scripture: the warning, the stories, the before, the during, the after, the flood, the perspectives. These are the four families that, in essence, created the culture of understanding of what could happen if you start making wrong choices. These are the four families that, in essence, were trusted 
with the population of the world and the culture of those of that population. The influence that these four families have. Think about it. Noah has been alive, let's just say, you know, at three for, for 300 years after the flood. I know technically he lived 350 years. I just, this is just, I'm going to pull this, make up a story. 300 years after the flood, Noah is still able to recount to his great, 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 great grandchildren stories of the culture and life that was before the flood. How insane is that? There are, there are, you know, like he was alive 950 years. He knew people who had direct connection to Adam and Eve. Does, does that do, understand the, the significance of what this establishes, the historical record that this establishes? He had firsthand accounts from Adam and Eve, from, from Cain, from Seth. That's, that's the type of life that this guy lived. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's not discount what this means. The value of heritage, the value of ancestry, the value of multicultures. And we're talking, we're talking, I mean, multicultures, multiple generations. If every year is a, is, is a generation, he's literally influencing three generations of conversation and eyewitness accounts he's able to influence. And really, he, has set, he, he influenced four after the, after the flood. This is crazy, but that's why this is in here. They want you to know. And from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. This is the whole thing. They had warnings for people. Listen, listen, no, I, I know... I know that you know you might think that this would be headed down the right path, but but your thoughts are selfish. Your thoughts are fear-based. You know what's interesting for me on a personal level? The the conversations I have now. I I'm currently uh, I work work volunteer as a coach. I I love coaching. I I love. I currently work with a, a swim team at a local YMCA. Love it. And in my conversation with with parents and other coaches, we talk, you know, somewhat about politics and about the world. And one of the things that I find interesting is when I tell them I don't like decisions that are based in fear. I I don't find decisions that are based in fear to have lasting positive ramifications. A lot of times they, they may get something done quickly, but their long-term ramifications are are negative because a fear-based decision-making uh, uh, paradigm means that you are constantly looking for ways to not be afraid. You're constantly looking for ways to try and make yourself safe. You're constantly looking. You're always on the lookout for the negative, and you always reap what you sow. So if all you look for is the negative – all you bring to yourself is more negative and you create a culture in which everything around you is negative. What's fascinating to me is that people who live in this culture and literally abide by a culture of fear, when you present that to them, they sit back often and go, wait, oh, you're right. 
that's a bad idea. It doesn't mean they stop, unfortunately, but it's interesting to watch them step back and go, I never thought of that. I never thought that that's how we're making decisions. I pointed it out just in the area of auto uh, advertisements, marketing. Because I've seen it shift in my lifetime. I've seen it shift from everything was about being sexy or attracting the opposite sex. It shifted to, you know, being safe. Everything's about being safe. Be safe, be safe, be safe. Be able to travel anywhere and be safe. Go over any mountain and be safe. Tow any item and be safe. Don't do something crazy. Get this vehicle. And you will be safe. Your family will be safe. Your children will live forever. You can you can drive this this vehicle until your children are 110 years old, and you will always be safe. Like it just is. It's fascinating to me how I'm not saying that it's still that way. I don't know what it'll be like by the time you listen to this. But currently, there is a culture of fear, and I would imagine you know if if uh, COVID is still a thing when you're listening, like there is this culture of fear in which so many decisions have been made and it doesn't perpetuate hope. It doesn't perpetuate life and, and, and grace and gentleness and kindness. It perpetuates insanity and it is a scary thing. So with, with all that's going on, all this, all these families growing and interacting and, all the perspectives that are that are being given, there's there's a lot of cool stuff that's that's being established around the world, around the world, and honestly, that has to be exciting. Uh, you know, as they came out of the ark, we've talked about how lonely they probably felt, how weird it was to be the only people on the planet, how quiet it probably was at night. Uh, but as their families grew and they focused on those things, as they established um, plots of land and started uh, expanding and families kept growing and it, it had to be exciting a hundred years later 200 years later 300 years later Noah's looking around people are you know sending them their their children and saying hey you know go spend a couple weeks with granddad Noah and he will you know in, impart to you some wisdom but Noah also had uh, seemingly an issue at some level. So in verse, uh, uh, what is it? Verse 20, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Now, I sincerely doubt that this was the only thing he planted. And I'm confident this story doesn't happen right after they get out of the ark because you don't get in it a vineyard overnight. A vineyard takes years to establish. And really, a really good vineyard, something that really produces good grapes, takes a lot of years to grow. You have to, you have to, it's an art form. It's beautiful. If you've ever read books about a vineyard, and I know that there was really, there was an entire movement. Uh, what is it? John Wimber, I think was uh, the guy's name. The Vineyard Churches. He wrote a book, I think, called The Vineyard, and man, it establishes some of the most amazing principles of growth and nurture in how to establish a vineyard. So just picture Noah 
being that type of, of person, right? It says he was a man of the soil. This this is a man who spent the 600 years before, or five, 500, 600, yeah, 600 years before the flood, he spent as a man of the soil, inventing, creating. Imagine now the soil being more forgiving than ever before. The inventions that he had made now make massive cuts in the ground. It, it, you know, let's say he doubled the time before, but now that the curse has been lifted, it's quadrupled the, the speed. He's he's doing great and probably has crops of all kinds. But one of the crops he did was he established a, established a vineyard. And it and it says that it was they they it says within the nuances of this of this phrase produced uh, proceeded to plant a vineyard is the idea that this is more than just uh, a few grapevines for some personal wine that he wanted to uh, you know have around the house and and people would often do that right they'd have three or four grapevines enough to make whatever several gallons of 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 wine so that they get through their life and have wine at, at meals or whatever. This is the idea that he produced a vineyard that was big enough to to sell. Like this was part of his his marketing plan. There was a lot of wine that was coming from this vineyard. This is probably not the first year that he had the vineyard. He had had the vineyard for a long time. It was a it was a it was a a place of money making opportunity whatever they used for money. He was a farmer, an inventor, a provider. He had other crops. And tradition says that he wanted even more business. He wanted lots of wine. Not only for business, but also for his personal indulgence. That's what tradition kind of points to in this particular thing. He was, uh, over time, as he got older, maybe because his joints were sore, maybe because it was, he was just old and liked his wine. He just got used to wine. He started drinking wine earlier and earlier in the day, and eventually he was, it was like orange juice in the morning. Like, he just had wine all day long. And by nighttime, he was pretty tipsy. You don't become a drunk overnight. It says, when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk. That that this that is not a one-time thing verse. This is a verse that said this was a habit. Probably, at this point, he had become. We would describe him as an you know an alcoholic. Like he can't get through the day without copious amounts of wine. It's so much so that when he got drunk in this particular night and he's laying, it says he laid uncovered inside his tent. So he stumbles into his tent. I don't know. Where where was he? Where did he start drinking? He probably started drinking in the morning. So he's been drinking all day again. He gets, uh, he, he has his meal in the evening. His servants are taking care of him. Well, all these servants, remember, are probably related to him. If he has any, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's serving himself. Maybe he just has a, you know, a, a great, 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 great nephew that's helping him out because he's old and a drunk. But he, he's not in a great place. And maybe, maybe, I, I mean, it's, 
I have no idea mentally what you go through when you're 900 flipping years old. Like, this is crazy. I talk to people in their, you know, 70s and 80s, and they talk about, oh, how many years they've been around. And I think, imagine being around for 900 of them. What are, what thoughts do you have? How many things have you forgotten that that you wish you could remember? How many things do you remember that you wish you could have forgotten? Like, it's it's got to be crazy. So at some level, I don't blame him for at least wanting a little wine, but he had way too much, and he had it way too often. And it says, he drank some wine, became drunk, laid uncovered inside his tent, which means basically if he had a robe on when he was outside, he took it off and just fell into bed. Exhausted from the day, tired from the wine, he just laying there. And it says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told the, his two brothers outside. So the brothers were called in. This was this is uh, unique. It wasn't like these guys lived with dad. They had their own families. They're probably their own tribes at this point. That involved villages and towns that were scattered all over the nation. They had also, of course, been alive the last 300 plus years. They had plenty of other things to do, and they all show up at dad's tent. Why? Somebody called them. Somebody's like, listen, you're, you, you know, we love you, and we love your dad. We love our great, 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 great grandfather, but he needs some help. He needs some help. Like he's been drinking a lot. And that vineyard of his is really, really big. And he's got copious amounts of wine. And unfortunately, he's drinking a lot of it. Now, I don't, I sincerely doubt he was poor. I don't think that he was in, inebriated beyond function, but he needed help. The brothers are all called in. His three sons all called in. You need to talk to Pops. You need to talk to Pop Pop. You need to talk to no-no, whatever they call them. So these guys show up, and, and Ham shows up first. Now, maybe this was just kind of Ham's personality, but he made a bad choice. Ham walks in first. He sees his father lying there naked. He is drunk. He is old. He is naked. It's also his father. Even though it, he's 300 and plus years old himself, Ham is, he has a responsibility to his father. Even though his father is old, even though his father is drunk, even though his father is naked. Now, I've seen, I've seen myself uh, naked, so I've seen a naked old man. It's not, there. there's lots of things to mock. There's lots of things to make fun of. And, and somebody who's drunk, they can be funny, but they can also be incredibly humiliated. And, and I have no doubt that at some level, Ham thought this, this would be really funny to make fun of Dad. So when it says that he told his two brothers outside, it's not the idea that that those guys showed up and he's like, oh, yeah, hey, you should go in there. Dad's like, you know, buck naked. I need some help because I can't roll him over or I don't want to hurt him or I need, you know, we need to figure out how to get him covered up. 
It, the idea is he mocked his father to the brothers. Now, I don't know what it's like to see two people that are, or, you know, three brothers who are 350 years old mocking their 900-year-old plus father, 900-year-plus father, old father. I don't, I don't know what that looks like, what that sounds like, but whatever it was, it wasn't pretty. Ham thought it was just, it was funny. Now, Shem and Japheth, they looked at each other and they were like, ooh, we need to take care of this. So it says they laid a garment, they took a garment, which is probably a, a large robe, and they laid it across their shoulders like a like a, a wall between them, and they walked backwards into their father's tent. Now, I'm sure they weren't completely backwards because they would have had a scene where they were going, but they, they knew enough about what was going on that they got close and they figured, well, we'll, we'll drape him, you know, with this covering. And they covered, they cut, they made sure they didn't see what Ham saw. They didn't see his complete nakedness. They covered him up so that, so that he wasn't naked, so they couldn't see it, so they could, in essence, deal with him in a, in an honorable way. So when Noah woke up, which I'm guessing was the next morning, probably late in the morning, Noah woke up from his wine and found out what the youngest son had done to him. He said, cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. And praise to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem, which indicates that probably Shem came up with the plan to cover his father. And may God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. In other words, uh, you know, Shem's going to expand. Uh, Shem's going to have servants. Shem's going to have all of this. And Japheth is going to be blessed by all that Shem does. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Now, what does this teach us? Well, it teaches us that in a covenant family, you stick by each other dur during failures. You don't mock each other's failures. Now, their covering of Noah's uh, nakedness didn't excuse Noah's behavior. It didn't make his, you know, his, his drunkenness okay. By covering their father up, they didn't ignore the circumstances or the mess. It just meant, we're going to stand by you on this, Dad. We're not disappearing. They waited around for him to wake up the next morning. And when he woke up the next morning and he comes out probably with a, with a bit of a headache, I don't know if you've ever had a wine headache, but they are... They, I think, I don't know if I've ever been drunk on wine, but I've woke up in the morning after after some cheap wine, and man, the headache on the, the back of my head just so, so I kind of picture Noah getting up, and man, his, his brain hurts, and he, he kind of comes, he wakes up, and he realizes, wait, where did, where did this blanket come from? This wasn't in here. This was, this was from that, this is, how did, did I drag this in here from? And then he hears people talking outside. He's like, whoa, those are my sons. 
And he kind of comes stumbling out. And he's like, what what happened last night? Where did you go? When did you guys get here? I'm like, Dad, we got uh, we got called in last night because you were so drunk. People were worried about you. Evidently, you've been drinking a lot. And Ham is there, and Ham probably is laughing. Like, he's like, yeah, Dad, come on. I mean, we're you're 900 years old. And he was like, you mean 900 and whatever. Yeah, whatever. Like, we're 350 years old. Plus, more than that. Like, we shouldn't be come, having to be called in here to take care of our drunk father. Like, we have families. Like, you, you looked ridiculous last night. And Shem and Japheth are probably looking at him going, oh, this was not good. You, sh you shouldn't have told him this. He's like, well, what did you do? And and Shem's like, well, uh, I got a hold of the Japheth. We grabbed the blanket from uh, that other tent, and we walked in and covered it up. We, we made sure we didn't look at you. We walked in backwards. We covered you up. And maybe Ham said more stuff like, I wouldn't have covered you up. If you're that drunk, you you know, you deserve to be whatever, mocked or sit out in the cold, wake up cold or whatever. It does get cold, you know, at night. Even even in warm places, if you if you sleep outside, you, you know, you'll see people, oh, I'm going to sleep on the beach. And by morning, like they're under three of their towels trying to keep warm. There's something bizarre about nighttime. Your your body just gets cold. And and all this goes on and and... Noah figured out, like, he got angry. And I think what we see in this story is the establishment that words matter. Like, Noah wakes up, he gets the feedback or the story from Shem and Japheth and, and Ham, and probably from servants, i.e. relatives that are around. And he pronounces a curse on Ham and Ham's heritage, his ancestry. And here's the power of the tongue. The, the tongue is a force. Your words are a force of, of nature that, we're, that goes all the way back to the beginning. God created this in us as a mirror of his image. Creation came forth, broke forth from the beginning based on the voice of God. God called from the beginning. Out of the beginning, he established the, the universe. And as people who carry the image of God, we carry the ability of the power of life and, and death in our tongue. Jesus teaches us that. And he illustrates it. He illustrates it to the disciples when he's speaking to the fig tree. The fig tree that was that should be bringing forth fruit, but wasn't. In other words, it was it it was of no value to anyone. And he wasn't mad at the fig tree. It was just the perfect foil for the illustration. And he cursed the fig tree and it died. And when the when the uh, disciples came by the next day, they could tell it had rotted, you know, from the roots down. It was, it was done. Jesus was like, this is the power of your voice. This is the power of the tongue. He established it in the, po in the positive under Adam when Adam named the animals. Remember, Adam didn't just name the animals. The name of the animals pulled forth the character and the identity of the animal. Their instincts and their, be and their personalities were in the name that Adam gave. That was the power of the tongue. And Noah 
whether he was angry, half drunk, whatever, he curses his son. And he says, <laughs> he says, Ham is going to serve, is basically the, the nation of Canaan is going to be a, a nation of servants. Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers, which was the rest of the world. So basically, this is going to be a nation of slaves. This is the power of the tongue. It's also, you know, the, the significance of a father's role. A father takes with him tremendous, a tremendous force of nature going all the way back to creation. What you speak over your children matters. Even if they're 350 plus years old, it matters what you say. It says here, uh, let's see, but Christopher B. Canaan, verse 26, he also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem, may Canaan and the slave be, be the slave of Shem. And then he extended Japheth's territory, gave him more land, and, and the tents of Shem will also house Japheth, and Canaan will be a slave to them as well. He's like, Canaan, uh, uh, Shem and Japheth, all of your tribes, all of your nations are going to be served by Ham and, and his nation. This set up a culture of, of ethnic attitude, racist attitude, it set up um, it set up uh, a negative personification between family members, between people groups. From this point on, we see a cultural a culture shift around the world. All the Canaanites, all of Ham's uh, tribe. All of his relatives were suddenly viewed as second class. They were, they were shifted from, we are all establishing a world that pictures heaven to two of us are establishing the world and one of us is going to serve everyone else. I would imagine Ham and Shem and Japheth who sat there and listened to their father, speak curses over one and blessings over the other two and thought, wow, our whole world has changed. Because it's not like they got up from there and thought to themselves, listen, dad was still a little upset, a little drunk. Let's just ignore what he did, what he said, and let's move on. Nope, they were all over this. They immediately stepped into these roles because of what dad had said. This impacts the trade around the world at this point, you know, between all of the nations and the families. This set up relationships. This impacts the relation, the marriage relational connection between the tribes of these three brothers. I mean, would you want your child of Shem to uh, marry a child of Ham if you knew that all of Ham's relatives and and you know and ancestral line are supposed to be slaves of yours, I'm not saying it never happened, but there there was a there was an attitude shift. It was like ah, I think maybe we'll find somebody from 
another tribe, from another part of the world. I don't want that for my son. I don't want that for my daughter. We want to have better relationship. We we want to establish ourselves in a higher race. And I now listen. I I know I've I've read ancient well not ancient but you know commentaries from the early 1900s, 1800s sorry 1800s in which it was it was erroneous erroneously attributed that Ham was the you know came from from the African nations and the African nations were to be the slaves of the world that like 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 slavery was established by god no stop it i mean that is just stop it now thankfully those commentaries have been you know removed but i know that they exist because i've read them but you have to go looking for them but that was the established theology for years for years that kind of lie went in who cursed Ham? Was it God? No. This was the power of, of the tongue. This was the power of Noah. Noah cursed his son to give, to give birth to a nation of slaves. I have no idea what color they were. That's irrelevant. He should have never said this. God expects us to use the power of our tongue to bless his people, to encourage the earth, to bring about more love and hope to speak the identity, the true identity of everyone, to call them back to the source of light and love that they are. We go back to the beginning. That's our identity. That's where our voice should be pointed when it comes to conversations with people and how we describe people. We describe them from where they came from, which is heaven. Noah did not do that. Noah used his voice to curse a nation and it, and it became established. We need to be more like God. We can be more like him. We can speak life, speak hope, speak love, speak joy, speak freedom, speak res restoration. We can speak forth the original garden design and identity. That's what our, our voice is supposed to do. How many times do we look you know, at somebody, whether, whether they be dressed weird in our opinion or or marked up with tattoos that we don't particularly care for or have an eating pattern that we don't like and we speak a curse over them. Like, oh, that, that person's just going to die of a heart attack when they're 32. Or that guy's going to be an alcoholic. Or that girl's going to be wishing, you know, that she didn't sleep with that guy for, you know, she's going to be uh, living on the streets. Like we just speak that, oh, that marriage will never last. That relationship will never make it. That friend's going to hate them in the morning. We speak curses all the time. We speak it over our neighbor. We speak it over other drivers. Yeah, well, I hope you die. I hope you crash. Oh, man. Be careful. Be careful. Your voice matters. Your voice matters way more than you imagine. Think about it. If your voice matters that much, what would the enemy want you to believe about your voice? He'd want you to believe that it doesn't matter. He'd want you to believe that cursing people is funny. <laughs> it's funny. I remember, I remember 
one of my granddaughters, she was she was very young. And I forget what she was doing. We were having pizza at the table. Everybody's sitting at the table. And um, uncle, <laughs> her uncle was trying to encourage her to do something correctly. And she wasn't. She kept saying whatever it was over and over and over again. And her uncle was like, you need to listen to your mother. And she do it wrong again. And he, you need to listen and she do it wrong again. You need to. And he was like, why are you doing this? And this little, she couldn't have been more than three. She looks right at him and goes, dead panned, dead serious, because it's funny. And I, I literally thought I was going to spit my pizza out. I thought it was hilarious. She was like, <laughs> From her perspective, there was no greater reason on the planet to be disobedient <laughs> because it's funny. Basically, that's your answer, uncle. You cannot argue with this. I have established my reasoning beyond doubt. All right. Maybe that was just funny to me. But anyways... This is the way that the enemy comes at us. He makes us think our voices are funny when we're cursing people. He makes us think that our voices are irrelevant. We're just we're just saying stuff. Nobody it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't really matter. It matters. And that's why the stories in the Bible. It matters. Even if you're a half drunk 900 plus year old man who who just came crawling out of a tent. Your voice matters. As a father your blessings matter and your curses get established. Now, I don't think that these are irreversible. I think things could change. I think that things can be said. Repentance can occur. That's a pattern that also goes all the way back to the garden. That is an establishment in the kingdom of heaven. Restoration is always there. You can voice restoration. But in this moment, this curse that is spoken shifts the culture of the world. And it may never be the same. Not because of God, but because of the freedom and power that God gives his creation to be just like him. Or to do the opposite. So the choice is yours, everyone. And the choice to be here again next week on The Epic Narrative is also yours. I hope you choose to be here and bring a friend. See you again soon. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. Some, some thoughts for today. I, I believe that the blessing of God always overrides the curses of the enemy, always. And so when somebody is cursed, when somebody uh, has negative things spoken over them, when, if somebody, you, maybe, maybe you, maybe you have had, we'll say negative labels dropped on you by teachers or coaches or good grief by pastors, right? Oh, pastors. 
some of them can just drop some of the most negative things on people from the pulpit sometimes. Not sometimes, a lot of times, because oftentimes they're hiding behind the pulpit. But that's another whole subject. We'll just go on to another thing. They can drop all these negative labels on you and, in essence, curse your life. And you can take those labels and you can live with them and you can accept them or you can go to God and say, God, what's your blessing that overrides this curse? What, what, what do you call me? What label do you put on me? Now, I say all that to go back to this curse from Noah, this, this, uh, this negative, life, you know, lifelong uh, negative ramifications that he dropped on Ham and, and all of his descendants, the Canaanites where he called them, you know, in essence, slaves to his brothers. And, and you know, what was, what, was Noah embarrassed? Was he, did he feel dishonored? Did he think that his sons should have been, you know, more respectful? Yeah, probably. I mean, that guy's been around a long time, 900 plus years. This, he, he, you know, I, that's, well, we got into that already today. But back to the, sorry, <laughs> Oh, I get to preach in the same sermon again. The blessed, the 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 curse that that he dropped on them, his brothers, Ham's brothers, could have easily walked out of that meeting and said, "We don't believe it, Ham. Listen, we're just gonna we're gonna chalk this up to Dad being hungover. We're just gonna ignore this. You're our brother. We're gonna treat you the way that God treated us." Before you are worthy of rescue, you are worthy of life, you are worthy to populate this planet with the rest of us. You are the one that God like. There's so many ways that they could have come in alongside Ham and encouraged him, and instead, they took their father's curse and they rode with it. They also, in essence, continued to curse Ham. And I wanted to. My thought today was really to come to this. I. I think when people put negative labels on other people, it's up to you whether or not you're going to agree with that curse or if you're going to bless them. And when you bless them, blessings always outweigh the curse, always. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, the, the evil of the enemy can't outgood God. God is, God's goodness is going to, is going to win all the time. So the things that I heard, right, the the uh, the curse, and I don't know if I heard it or if I just started to believe it, if the enemy whispered it in my ear, but I remember from the get-go, it seemed like I was, I compared myself to an older, I have an older sister now, and she's like six years older than me. So she, of course, was smarter than me because she had lived more life than me. She knew how to do things I couldn't do. She could spell. She could spell, I couldn't spell. I mean, well, actually that's still a problem for me, but, but there were just so many things that she would do and I would, I would watch her do it. And then internally I would, just, I would just fall apart because I couldn't do it like her. So I would call myself stupid and, and I wasn't as, uh, I didn't get great, great grades like she always did. Now, again, I was comparing myself to a girl who was, you know, far, much further than I was in school, but, you know, she'd get A's, I'd get less than A's, 
And I would just think, oh, you're just so stupid. You're just so stupid. And this was the lie that I believed over and over and over again. This was the curse that I believed. The, the thing that broke that curse was when I, when I believed what God said about me instead. And when I started to believe that, when I believed the truth, that curse became broken. Now, it doesn't mean that periodically I don't run into it uh, every, you know, because of the circumstances I'm in. And sometimes, as you guys uh, current, know that I'm currently, you know, dragging my RV around, my literal house, the only, the only place I live. And man, sometimes I have to back those th- that thing into, into places, and I just, I, I, I fight feeling stupid because I tell you, for me, it's difficult. I watch YouTube videos, and these guys are like, this is all you have to do. Turn this, turn that, pull forward to this, turn one more time, and boom, you're in. And I'm like, how did they do that? I try and do it, not not working. So I fight this old curse that keeps wanting to come back. Hey, Bob, you're stupid. Hey, Bob, you're stupid. And I believe that Ham could have walked away and said, I'm not, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe what Dad's saying. Now the father, the, the, you know, the, the 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 power of a father's voice, the power of a father's blessing or a father's curse is clearly seen in this story. It's a powerful thing. But Ham could have rejected that curse and went with the blessing of God, and the brothers could have rejected that curse and went with the blessing of God and spoke blessing over Ham and broke what Noah had spoken over him. But they didn't. They didn't, and, and, and for years, I mean, I can show you commentaries. For years, people use this as, as a way to literally enslave entire nations that they believe came from the line of Ham. And they said, see, God says you are to be slaves to the rest of the world. I'm telling, oh, it's what a horrible, horrible interpretation and translation of scripture. And yet for years, Western world believed it. Europeans believed it. it it's, it's a horrible thing. And that's why sometimes when people are like, Bob, you, you don't translate the Bible right. And I think, yeah, well, that's been done before. Trust me, I'm translating the Bible. As I work through these stories, I translate, I, I work on it. And I choose things that, make, that, 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 that reveal God to be good and loving. And that's the risk I'm taking. And I'm not the only one. I know that there are actual theologians that do this. But when I, when, you know, when people come at me with, oh, you, you don't even know the Bible. You know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bob, you know, God says, I will never, you know, whatever, whatever. And I think, nope. You sound like the people who believe that an entire an entire continent of this planet was cursed by God to be slaves to the rest of the world, and uh, I'm not going for it. I don't see that in the character of God, and uh, what I do see in the character of man is the ability to be really mean and cruel and curse people and not treat them the way God God treats them and not believe things about them that like God believes about them. All right, hey, sorry. <laughs> That one got a little, internally, I'm, I'm kind of intense right now. All right, uh, yeah, so we'll just call that the end of Bob's Thoughts today. I hope you guys have a great time, and I look forward to seeing you next week on The Epic Narrative. Mm-hmm.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.